Mace is dropped on another round of soccer down here. Soccer's morning show. John, hear you there. It is a Thursday, which means Thursday thoughts. Hour number one, we'll go through all the news of the day, get you squared away for what is on TV, all the news from last night, because there was a game that happened that determined another spot in the CONCACAF Champions League hemispheric extravaganza. And we'll get into that last night. There were some matches in Major League Soccer. There was the late game in Campione's Cup that maybe seven or eight of you saw. And we'll get into that this morning. And uh, our number two stacked. Back-to-back fun. It is the last Thursday of the month, which means one thing. It means our friends from the USL show will drop by. Kaylor Hodges, I know, is dropping by. And we will uh, look at what's going on in the USL and get his thoughts as we're winding down for the uh, regular season. Then on the other side of that Thursday at 1030, the last half hour of the show, we know that means Nico Moreno, our friend from Pulso Sports and the soccer bar. He will drop by and he will let you know uh, what's going on in his part of the world. We'll talk about the the new crest and the rebranding. We got into it yesterday with Bart discussing rebranding in Major League Soccer and the uh, Star Trekian communicator looking Star Warsian space needle is now a part of things as they get ready for their 50th anniversary up there in Seattle. So we'll talk to Nico at 1030 and we'll get his thoughts on Thursdays with Nico, everything going on in Major League Soccer uh, with both uh, Kaylor and our friends with the USL show. And with Nico, we'll do our weekly version of red light, yellow light, green light. And what we do there for those of you that have not had the chance to catch that is Basically, it's who's hot, who's not, and who might be trending in one direction or the other. Morning, Tom. And what we do there is we go green light. Okay, so who's doing well? Red light, who's not? And then yellow could be going from one direction up or the other direction down. So we'll do all of that in hour number two. So hour number two is a guest heavy. Hour number one is where we get to talk about stuff. It's the official term. Uh, tomorrow is... Uh, fairly standard traffic. We'll have a weekend whip around not involving Atlanta United at 10 o'clock, 9.30. Our friends from Beyond Goals Mentoring, if I'm if my math is right, it would be Michael Parkhurst's turn unless they trade off. And at 9 o'clock, we'll get you ready for the morning. And in the 10 o'clock hour, we may have a uh, a golden ticket holder come in and discuss problems with her hometown franchise. And that probably already sets up who it is. Yes, congrats, Dynamo. We'll be getting into uh, all of that coming up in just a little bit. All right. Opening kickoff, as always, brought to us by our friends at Kickoff Coffee, kickoffcoffeeco.com. There's your QR code for hour number one as I cover up the QR code involving hour number two in our transition. That is uh, with our friends at Kickoff Coffee and kickoffcoffeeco.com. Use that code. And you can also uh, use the code soccer down here 15. That is also recommended. And you get 15% off your purchase. Thanks to everyone who has kicked off their day. See what I did there? With our friends from Kickoff Coffee and kickoffcoffeeco.com. They, in turn, take 10% reinvested into the youth games and youth initiatives. Very, very cool stuff from our friends at Kickoff Coffee and kickoffcoffeeco.com. So that way, you don't click on two QR codes. And this morning's opening kickoff, I think, is brought to us by Spain down here. Because uh, let the fun begin. Barcelona, and this was uh, very early this morning, from uh, from our friends at Reuters. Headline, Barcelona under formal investigation for suspected bribery in referee's case. 
suspected bribery in an investigation spanning two decades at the country's refereeing committee, according to a court document seen by Reuters. Investigating Judge Joaquin Aguirre Lopez said this month, Barcelona may have benefited from, quote, possible systemic corruption. Back in February, uh, Barcelona denied any uh, wrongdoing or shenanigans. In March, prosecutors filed a complaint, you'll remember, over alleged payments of more than 7 million euro over 17 years to firms owned by Jose Maria Enriquez Negrera, who was vice president of the Football Federation's refereeing committee for 25 years, 93 to 2018. Barcelona said in February that they had paid an external consultant who, su- who supplied them with technical reports related to professional refereeing, which the club said was a common practice among professional clubs. According to Aguirre, the judge Negreta was responsible for ranking and evaluating the referees. However, no evidence has been found of Negreta paying referees to influence match results, Aguirre said in early September. So, formal investigation for Barcelona. And uh, the other part having to do with Spain, Jorge Vilda is now under investigation as the criminal as the criminal court looks into the kiss from Luis Rubiales, from Ashifa Kassam, uh, from The Guardian. Former coach of Spain's women's football team, Jorge Vilda, has been put under investigation as the country's highest criminal court continues to look into Luis Rubiales' unsolicited kiss on Wednesday. The court said that Vilda, who was sacked less than a month after the, Spain won the World Cup, had been summoned to appear in court on the 10th of October. Statement didn't say why. High court's been examining the case after prosecutors cited concerns there could be grounds to charge Ruby Alice with sexual, uh, sexual assault as well as coercion after he grabbed Jenny Hermoso and planted the kiss on her. Statement published late last month, Hermoso said the incident left her feeling vulnerable and a victim of aggression. She characterized the kiss as, quote, an impulsive act, sexist, out of place, and without any type of consent from my part. Rubiales claimed the kiss was consensual, in our recap. Resigned this month vowing to defend his innocence in a lengthy statement that added, I have faith in the truth, and I will do everything in my power so that it prevails. Vilda appeared to back Rubiales initially, applauding the football chief as he railed against false feminism, promised repeatedly he would not resign. Vilda was also promised by Rubiales on the dais that day that he was going to get a big salary increase in a long contract. Vilda was also among those accused by the Spanish news site Relevo of allegedly trying to convince Hermoso to defend Rubiales publicly as anger began to mount over the actions of the Women's World Cup win. The court had initially limited their investigation to Rubiales, calling a handful of Federation officials as witnesses on Wednesday. They said it had also put Albert Luque, the director of the men's squad, and Ruben Rivera, the marketing chief of the Football Federation, under investigation, rather than calling them as witnesses. Investigations also summoned Alexia Patelis, Irene Paredes, and Misa Rodriguez as witnesses, and they'll determine whether Rubiales faces charges. The sentence for a charge of sexual assault ranged from a fine to a prison term between one and four years. And so that's where we are. Spain down here continues. Not a surprise. That's uh, opening kickoff. Brought to us by our friends at Kickoff Coffee. Kickoffcoffeeco.com. QR code right there as I cover up QR code for hour number two. 
Don't forget to use the code soccer down here 15. You get 15% off your purchase. And thanks to everyone who has used kickoff coffee and kicked off their day with kickoff coffee. See what I did there? There's your QR code soccer down here 15 for kickoff coffee and kickoffcoffeeco.com. They in turn take 10% reinvested into the youth game and very, very cool stuff from our friends at kickoff coffee and kickoffcoffeeco.com. So there you go. All right. Last night, well, actually, you know, tell you what, let, well, let's go through, let's go through open cup. I mean, not open cup, uh, the gummy bear cup, because yesterday, uh, Newcastle knocked out Manchester City. That was probably the biggest result of the day. You now have also your your layout for the round of 16. Everton beat Villa 2-1. That's why Tom and Ropes are completely and totally excited. Ropes says, <laughs> Tom says that they almost looked like a viable Premier League side yesterday. Everton over Villa 2-1. Rovers beat Cardiff. Bournemouth winner. Arsenal beat Brentford. Chelsea got the one goal they needed, beat Brighton. Fulham winner. West Ham winner. Liverpool winner. Newcastle United over Manchester City. And that was the the big, that was the big result from yesterday. And the the layout for the next round. Manchester United is going to host Newcastle. In a rematch of last year's final. So let's just go ahead and get to the round of 16. We'll go ahead and have the rematch there. Fourth round ties. And, and, and we talk about uh, frozen envelopes in the NBA draft. Here, here's how our friends at Sky phrased it. Manchester United will host Newcastle in a rematch of last season's final in the pick of the Carabao Cup fourth round ties as the holders landed an astonishing 12th home cup tie in a row. Who are they, Orlando? Manchester City. Sorry, Manchester United. My bad. Newcastle beats Manchester City. Manchester United gets the, gets a home match for the 12th time in a row. Yeah, that, that never happens. Newcastle uh, lost 2-0 to United in last year's final. Once again, it was Esoc's goal that got it through. Yeah, <laughs> the paragraph. Incredibly, the draw marked the 12th successive time in a domestic cup competition where Manchester United have been drawn at home. A run which dates back to March of 2021 and is believed to be a new record in British football history. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, Tom, I did not uh, hear the the new nickname that was given by our friends at the Total Soccer Show and give the nickname that uh, was allowed. Also news uh, this this morning morning, Rob Dorsett from Sky. UK police issued the highest number of football banning orders in more than a decade last year, although new figures also show that a record 45 million people attended domestic and international football matches. Stats released by the Home Office show on average there were just five arrests for every 100,000 supporters who attended stadium. There's a new law around drug possession leads to rise in the number of football arrests. Incidents were reported at 1,516 football matches. 50% of all games. Hate crime incidents reported in relation to 370, or 12%. 
pyrotechnics at 620, throwing of missiles at 573, 1,624 football banning orders in force in England and Wales, 682 new banning orders issued last season, the highest number since 2010-2011, and 200 arrests were made for the possession of Class A drugs in or around football stadia. It's now been raised to a Schedule 1 offense, meaning it will be treated more seriously by the courts. 2 many incidents. 1,516 football matches, 50% of all games. Too many incidents, too many hate crimes, too many arrests, but not necessarily a surprise, sadly. We'll go through all the gossip, rumor, and innuendo uh, around the world, but uh, let's go into what uh, happened last night down in um, down in Miami. Houston's a fun team. I know we sit there and we'll, you know, we give Ben Olsen a whole lot of stick. Call him Captain Khaki, all these kinds of things. But they're a fun team to watch. Achiache, Karaskia, Quinones, Corey Baird. Shots last night. Let, let me let's go over the numbers. Because the shots last night in the first half were staggering. Staggering yesterday. It was just crazy numbers. And as I sit there, you know, you're trying to find something and you've got to go all the way down to the bottom. You've got to go all the way and figure out, okay, so here's Open Cup. Got it, finally. Goodness gracious. Um, All right. Lineups and stats. First half. 50-50 in possession. Total shots in the first half. 18-1. Houston. Shots! Shots, 18 to 1 first half. Houston completely and totally handcuffed Inter Miami last night. 18 to 1. 50 50 in possession, 18 shots in the first half. Five of them on target. Five blocked, eight off target. Three corners, six free kicks. One big chance. 11 of the shots were inside the 18. No saves by Drake Callender in the first half. But seriously, 18 to 1 shots in the first half. Are you kidding me with that? They only had one in the second half. Of course, they also had a lead. Didn't matter. Finished up 19-12. And Miami had, uh, Inter-Miami had most of the possession in the second half. 19-12, but it was 18-1 at the break. Five, four shots on target. Eight, four off target. Six, four in blocks. Ten fouls to Houston for eight for Inter-Miami. Of course, Inter-Miami also had three yellows. More big chances at the end of 90 minutes. Had the one counterattack. Passed at 87% accuracy. 
486 out of 560, 29 long balls to 15. Of course, they were having to manufacture something, most of that in the second half. Six crosses to three. Get this. You know how we talk about winning uh, winning uh, matches on the dribble? Houston on the day last night, 17 wins on the dribble, 17 of 21 on the dribble. Miami, 3 of 13. They won a little bit more than 50% of the duels, like 55, 45, 49 of the 84. 16, 15 in tackles to Miami. 16, 10 in interceptions for Houston. 27 clearances, most of those in the second half when you had a lead. 27 clearances to nine to enter Miami. Here's your numbers. Yeah, and next we will definitely get into that. Here's your numbers across the board. Drake Callender had a 6.5. DeAndre Yedlin a 6. Noah Allen a 6.4. And you could tell that the attack for Houston, they wanted the wings. And they got them. Quinones on DeAndre Yedlin. DeAndre Yedlin got a wake-up call yesterday. 6.0 in a yellow card, but Quinones on Yedlin. Yedlin was put in the spin cycle worse than your corner laundromat. Krevsov at a 6.8. He got a yellow. Three of the four players on the back line got yellows last night for Inter-Miami. Yedlin Yedlin got one. Krevsov got one. Noah Allen got one. Kamal Miller punched a 7, as did Busquets. Kramoski, who had the one mistake early on that created the transition chance on the goal, he had a 7-5, he, and he was one of the higher-rated folks. Facundo Farias had a 7-7. Busquets had a 7. Diego Gomez had a 6.7. Campana and Taylor, who did nothing in the first half. Nothing. Barely mentioned. Each had a 6.2. Campana, by the way, one shot on target. One shot on target for Leo Campana. It was blocked. 32 touches on the night, 20 and 23 in passing. Did not win a duel on the ground last night. 0 for 6. Won 1 of 4 in the air. So if his in his duels, Leo Campano, he was 1 for 10. Lost possession 8 times last night. Yee. Robert Taylor. Only played 45 before he got subbed. 30 touches. He had more touch, almost as many touches in 45 minutes as Leo Campana did in the entire time he was there, 90 minutes. 30 touches, 14 to 21 passing, 67%. Did not win a duel. Did not win a duel at all. Combining the duels for Robert Taylor. And Leo Campana, 0 of 11 on the ground, 1 of 4 in the air. One duel, 1 out of 15 chances involving Leo Campana and Robert Taylor. That should tell you a lot about the defense that Ben Olsen put out there last night. Seriously. Also on the board with your with your numbers, 
On the flip side, Corey Baird, 7.1. Katasquia, 6.5. Nelson Quinones, understandably, is 7.6. Same with Amin Bossi. That left-hand side with Houston, with Ben Olsen, they saw something. Left-hand side, Franco Escobar is 7.7. Ache Ache is 7.8. Bossi is 7.6. Quinones is 7.6. Corey Baird is 7.1. Griffin Dorsey, obviously, with the goal, had a 7.6 as well. Talk about a rocket. Griffin Dorsey shot that got in the net. But that left-hand side attacking the right of Inter-Miami. Bossi is 7-6. Quinones is 7-6. Aceachi is 7-8. Franco Escobar is 7-7. Mikhail is 7.2. Corey Baird is 7.1. Artur had a 7.2. And like I said, we talked about Dorsey. Dixon Arroyo came in as a sub. He had to at 45. Joseph came in. For Robert Taylor, he had the goal at a 6.9. David Ruiz is 6.4 for in the 15 minutes he subbed for Yedlin. Stefanelli for his cup of coffee at a 6.9. Subs for Houston, they were all in the sixes. Brad Smith came in, gave you 10. Luis Caicedo and, and uh, Ibrahim Aliou came in, gave you six minutes plus. Teenage Adibi came in at the end. But all of that activity on the left-hand side, Escobar, Herrera, Quinones, Bossi, Baird, going up against Yedlin and Kriftsov on the right on the, the defensive right. They saw something. And they took full advantage of it. So Ben Olsen gets... An ish load of credit. He really does. Absolutely gets an ish load of credit for what they were able to pull off. And, and yeah, Nick's, it was weird. It was absolutely weird. Nick says it boggles his mind. They treated the Houston goals like that with music and fireworks, et cetera. I get that U.S. soccer was running the show, but dang. Yeah, I mean... I know that you're trying to, if it was a neutral venue, I could understand it. But mm, I know that the the Houston fans who spent their money were doing their thing. It's just, yeah, I mean, I understand what U.S. soccer was trying to do, but you were in a home venue and you were trying to make it sound like a neutral venue and it wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, Knicks, Miami looked like they didn't want to be there in the first half. I think that that's full credit to Houston and what they were doing. That's exactly what they were doing. Ropes is jacked up about what happened in the uh, Cup yesterday. Yeah, the Dynamo goal song, it does get stuck in your head. Does absolutely get stuck in your head. Back to Spain down here. Hutch, it was just a modest two-decade honorarium. They, they were budgeting They were budgeting it out. They, they were truly budgeting it out. Uh, Liverpool went down again but beat, uh, but beat Leicester. Yeah. Uh, the Greek god of goals. Was it the Greek god of goals? And I know throwing of missiles makes it sound a little worse than it was, but you know, you know, we're talking about uh, the the British game and all the trouble that folks are getting into. I'm guessing any kind of a projectile is regarded to as a missile. 
You could throw a fountain pen or a napkin. It would still be referred to as a missile if it had any kind of oomph behind it. No, no, no. I know you're not condoning it. No, not a bit. Uh, Leo couldn't even ride the bus with the team. Shows up right before the match. And yeah, Jordy Alba came in before the match and he brought all of his, he brought all of his, uh, brought his entire family with him. A note from Tom. Apparently, at one of Luca Della Torre's clubs, they nicknamed him the Aldi Frankie de Jong. So the guys were talking about the best signings this season called Gigi the Aldi Erling Aland. Hmm. Huh. Aldi Erling Holland. Still as good, just cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I, I see I see where they're coming from. I think Nick's is spot on. Still as good, just cheaper. Uh, yeah, Mar- Pars re- reinforced it. You need your DPs in Major League Soccer. And, you know, you're, you're in the middle of this five-match in 16-day thing with uh with inter miami right now and going over and we'll go over the matches just as in depth but there actually were matches last night in major league soccer and right now if you are a messy and friends you are five points out of a playoff spot with two matches in hand but you've got a match against nyc this weekend and uh, it will be interesting to see how they respond to that one. I'm checking to see what the location of it is. I know that we'll talk about it more in depth tomorrow. But, all right, so it's at Drive Pink. So if, if this one is at Drive Pink, it's a home match. I doubt, I doubt, I doubt, I doubt that, you know, if I'm probably, Jordy Alba probably will play. That'd be my guess. Messi, obviously he'll be a game time decision and don't get wound up. If, if Tata Martino doesn't tell you anything, he's chasing after a playoff spot. He's already won the one trophy this year. Houston got the second one for the CONCACAF uh, hemispheric extravaganza. And now, next thing is that you're chasing after, you're chasing after titles. You're chasing after playoffs. You got two matches in hand, but you're in schedule compression from hell. And I mean schedule compression from hell. And you've got to juggle what happened in the midweek with what you're doing this weekend, even though it's at home. The matchup with uh, Atlanta and Miami started this thing. Five matches in 16 days. Matchup against my Atlanta. The win against Toronto. Everybody does that. The draw with Orlando. Open Cup. And the fifth match in 16 days is this weekend when you play NYC at Drive Pink. You get a little bit of time to rest. Then you go to Chicago, you host Cincinnati, and then you got the home and home with Charlotte to wrap things up. But once again, that's two matches in four days. All this schedule compression at the uh, the mid thirty year old dudes 
what that's what catches up to you. And you've got to rely on the younger talent from Oski, Noah, Allen, et cetera. And you've got everything. You've got to have everything laid out. And uh, Nick's to your question. Yeah, he was here. Uh, Franco was listed uh, 18 to 21. 18 was when he started. 19, he had a recovery match with the twos. Fractured his right clavicle. He missed Champions League in the first three matches of the season. So, uh, forced out with an injury in Campione's Cup. But he was here. So, he was kind of injured on and off in 19. But he was but he was a part of Atlanta United. If it's Franco, yeah, because Franco was here in nineteen. Alan Franco, by the way. Check that. We'll we'll catch both. We'll catch both of these. We'll see who can get there first with the uh with the information. And uh, Alan Franco was an independiente from 17 to 21. He was here from 21 to 23. So that's your that's your your Alan Franco Franco Escobar. That, that's that's what that uh, that that's your that's your info of that. But biggest question is with all these 30 plusers right now with Inter Miami. Yeah, you're five points out. You got two matches in hand. But you gotta you gotta juggle the matches you can win. I think you can win the one this weekend, but you got a lot of bodies to climb over. And you got some time off before you go to Chicago, and apparently they've already sold 420,000 tickets to that game. So we'll see what happens there with that. Next, yes, nice finish from Joseph. Should have had another. Yes, he should have seems to be his story at times you get the one but then there are the others that are the, the bunnies that you don't get so you've got all that last night in major league soccer by the way other games and dallas drug philadelphia into their own mud it was the first and, and I will, full, full full disclosure, I watched this one until Open Cup, and then I was kind of going back and forth. Philadelphia and Dallas. Dallas was more than happy to sit there and turn it into a just a, a kickabout. First 20 minutes, they're just kind, of, just kind of hanging out. Legitimately, they were just kind of hanging out. Got a goal from uh, Alan Velasco. And that was in the 36 minute after Quinn Sullivan had scored in the 25th. Dallas had a goal that was pulled off the board and probably should have won. But 1-1 draw, Philadelphia-Dallas, it was a pretty painful watch. But it was a makeup game. It was a midweek. was not a full house at Subaru Park. Dallas almost took advantage of it, but they end up getting the point on the road. Difficult thing to do. Then 
in the later games, Colorado and Vancouver, and we were having the discussion in our production thread. If Vancouver loses to Colorado, that should mean that uh, Vancouver gets relegated and you promote somebody from the CPL, right? Because it was that painful to watch. Vancouver in control. Laborda scores to make it 1-0. Then Diego Rubio and Cole Bassett score 20 minutes apart in the second half. And it took a Brian White goal with 12 to goal to draw everything even at two, and that's how it finished. But Vancouver almost losing to Colorado. That would have been an inexcusable event. And I shudder to think what Vanny Sartini would have done in the locker room. I shudder to think what Vanny Sartini did in the locker room with what happened after the match, only getting a point out of that one. You can't give points away. Midweek matches, in matches that are makeups, you can't give points away. You can't leave points on the board. That's what Vancouver did in this match last night against Colorado. Chasing after Wooden Spoon, and you kept them in the match. 2-2 draw, Vancouver only uh, leaves with a point. Show of hands. How many of you actually watched Campione's Cup last night? I didn't. I mean, and it was when we were discussing juice boxes yesterday, I was kind of stunned that T-Grace wore a dog. Parsville, exactly right. Too late. When it's an 11 o'clock kick-ish, 11 o'clock kick, unless I've got other things to do, I am not staying up that late to watch that. No chance. I tried to find, a, you know, like an over-the-air place to watch it, something that would be an easy grab just to kind of sit there. And it's like, okay, if I hit a button or two, then I can get there. But if it takes too many hoops, I'm not going to watch. I didn't want So LA, LAFC and Tigres, no goals on the board after 90 minutes. Tigres would win in penalties, by the way. So congratulations to Tigres. You win Campione's Cup. Good for you. But, once again, if you think about it from a U.S. television perspective, it was something that filled up the tail end of the the window for you. You had the chance to sit there, and it's like, all right, we've got early evening programming. Now we have late-night programming. I get it. So, you know, congratulations to Tigres, winners of the Campeones Cup. Good for you. Like I said, I didn't watch it. Uh, Juice boxes. Give me a second, and I'll find the juice boxes from it from yesterday. Uh, Let me see. I'm trying to think about how do they designate this. Yeah, Campeones Cup. So, results. From last night. Tigris was a dog last night. At almost a plus 200 in the composite. LAFC was at a plus 121. And your 90-minute draw was basically a plus 250. Here's the lineup. 
that Steve Chirundolo put out last night and also Diego Palacios getting a red with 27 to go didn't help. Here's your lineups last night in this one. So Chirundolo put out fairly first choice. Crapo in net. Palacios, Chiellini, Long, Hollings, and Hollingshead at the back. Bogush, Ilie, and Kellen Acosta in the midfield. Oliveira, Vela, Boanga in your forward positions. Going up against the four, uh, the four four two, Guzman in net, Angulo, Reyes, Pizarro, Aquino, Quinones, Rafael, Gordiaran, and Diego Lainez with Cordova and Gignac up top. So you had uh, I think it you know it finishes the way that it did at 10 v 10. Carioca got a red with five to go. Palacios got a red in the 63rd minute. Tigres won at four two in pens. So and Carioca was a professional foul. It was a dog so red, and it was the second yellow in 11 minutes for Palacios. So. Got a yellow in the 52nd. 11 minutes later, got a second yellow. You're gone. And Tigris couldn't take advantage of it and almost lost. But Katayoka ended up with a dog so red. And that got through everything for uh, that one. So once again, I don't think we I don't think we missed anything. I don't think I don't think we missed anything. When it came to <laughs> when it came to Campione's Cup last night. I know we all remember. Uh, our Campiones Cup here in Atlanta with uh, Jeff Lorenowitz hitting an absolute screamer that sent Jason to a couple of different octaves that we had never previously heard. But uh, hmm. you end up with uh, you end up with a goalless draw and they won in penalties. So uh, I'm checking to see. Uh, Nick's had a question about uh, U.S. Open Cup. And I'm trying to see if Escobar got the Open Cup. So he was here from 18 to 21. So U.S. Open Cup winners. Doing our search this morning. Once again, 15 in 15 minutes, our friends from the USL show will be joining us. And... Uh, Nico Moreno will be joining us in uh, at 10:30. So scanning all the way down, Atlanta United was 2019. So I would I would uh, venture to guess that yes, this is a Franco Escobar's second U.S. Open Cup trophy, Atlanta United, and then with Houston Dynamo. So congratulations to Franco Escobar who uh, was a Three-year consecutive winner of the U.S. Open Cup. Now he's got two-time uh, two-time winner of the U.S. Open Cup over a four-year period. So yes, it is it is his uh, second Open Cup win, second different team. Did yeah did see the article uh, that was posted in the Athletic where uh, Garth Lagerwey was interviewed about the future of Tiago Almada and. I mean, none of that really should surprise where folks were interested. They didn't hit the right notes. And there were also some clubs that were not the most financially stable or well off. 
It would sit there. Yeah. Kind of like we talk about with other clubs. We'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. It's the wimpy approach. But I think that Garth has a point that this should be the highest transfer ever in the history of Major League Soccer. With what you're seeing from Tiago Almada, and it will be a Champions League club, uh, despite the thought that Ajax was a Champions League club and they are not. Um, with Tiago Almada, it's got to be the right price. And I think it's going to be a record breaker. I think it should be a record breaker for a Champions League club that wants to come in and chase after Tiago Almada. And then when that day happens, and I know that we've talked about it for almost a year, when that day happens, I know that we would love to keep Tiago Almada until the end of time and, you know, have him retire as an Atlanta United uh, force, shattering a whole lot of records. But that's not the way that the, the world works when it comes to orbiting in soccer clubs and being a grande. We know that that day will come. But it's got to be the right price. And you cannot, and this is the other element in this, you cannot just sit there, somebody who's got a Champions League pedigree wanders up to the door and sits there and goes, uh, Mr. Lagerway, and then you open the door. Here, here's $15 million. Okay. No, you can't do that. You cannot do that. It cannot be that. It has to be a price and a price tag that is worth it for the value of Tiago Almada, what he means to this club, so he can go to Europe, as was the plan. And so then Atlanta United can take that money, find the next big talent, and once again reinforce, as it was said in the article, that Miguel Almiron was not a one-time thing. Miggy comes here, does everything that he does, wins MLS Cup, moves on to Newcastle, comes back to Mercedes-Benz in the Summer Series, scores, place goes nuts as it should have been. It was loud when that happened. And you wish nothing but the best for Miguel Almero. This is round two with Tiago Almada. The day will come, but you cannot sell yourself short as an entity on the world stage with someone just coming and wandering up and emptying their wallet and going, hey, dude, you got changed for a 20. We want Tiago Almada. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be in that 30 to 35 or less with keeping him longer, you know, add-ons, what have you, keeping a percentage of the pass. It's got to be more than Miguel. It will be. I anticipate that. But once again, remember, you can – you can move things around a little bit and sit there and go, okay, well, if it's this and you can hang on to a percentage of the pass, that's just as good over time. So, you know, hang on to those kinds of things too. If it's not that large number up front, if it's a little less with a percentage of the pass that's kept by Atlanta United, right, pars. We don't need to set an expectation of Atlanta will sell if it's a halfway decent offer. No, it's got to be an offer. It's got to be a serious offer. That's the thing. It has to be a serious offer. And serious offer can be in a bunch of different forms. It legitimately can. Offer in full. Offer not quite in full percentage of the pass, but you cannot 
just sit there and go, okay. You're Atletico Madrid or whatever. Diego Simeone wanders up to the table. He's like, here's 20 bucks. Yes, sir, Mr. Simeone. Absolutely. I enjoy your tie and your fashion sense. No, you can't do that. Gotta, you've got to sit there and A, do what's right for the player. And you will when that moment comes. B, do what's right for the franchise. And C, set yourself up on the world stage as someone who's a player. Meaning the team, not the individual. It's like, okay, they've got a good gauge for talent. They know who they, they know who to bring in. They're going to take that young player. They're going to mold him, let him expand, let him grow, and have him be ready for that next step to Europe. They're going to let all that build. They get it. Proving that McGill was not a one-shot deal. Tiago Almada will be the second in line in this when this happens. But just once again, if you start to see numbers, if it's a number that is a big number that's 100% of the pass, cool. But if it's not as big, but you still get a percentage, that's just as good. Because we all know how overinflated European numbers can get. Think about it. Let's just let's just say for the sake of argument. Tiago goes to Europe. He does really well for maybe a team in the middle of the, the Serie A table. Maybe in Atalanta or something like that. Atalanta comes to the table. They sit there and it's like, okay, we want we want Tiago Almada. Okay, great. Atalanta does it for a percentage of the pass. Cool. Atalanta wants to flip Tiago Almada in a couple of years' time. And it's for some obscene number like 70 or 80 million euro. Because once again, we know how overinflated the European market is amongst itself. So you get that big number, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever it is, if Tiago continues his upward trajectory. Atlanta United has a percentage of that pass. You get, you know, 20% of the pass if you allow for a little less. If it's 50 million, then it's another 10 million bucks that you get. So you might end up over the top of what your initial figure was if it was going to be 100% of the deal. So just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind when it comes to any kind of a transaction. 100% great, fine. Somebody wants to play that game, fantastic. Somebody wants to kind of hang off a little bit. Could be just as, almost as big a number, but it's a percentage that's left behind. You know, you do the math, it could be just as lucrative for you. So if you start to see numbers that might be a little low, if there's a percentage of the pass attached, Keep that in mind as a part of the equation. Hutch says that Almada's had a much better shot than Almiron ever had. The European market will be interesting when it comes to uh, Tiago Almada. Some team that is Champions League material, Europa League material, doing their thing. 
be very, very interesting to see what happens when that day comes, and we know that that day will come. Gossip rumor and innuendo and what to watch. When you look at all of the, the names and the folks that uh, might be moving or are interested, we knew that this was going to come too. Roberto Deserbi and Bayer Leverkusen boss Xabi Alonso are contenders to replace Carlo Ancelotti should he leave Real Madrid when his contract expires at the end of the season. That's from Kadena Serre. Deserbi is a fun watch. And it was great to to ask him some questions when they came here for summer series. Enjoy Roberto Deserbi with Brighton and what he's been able to do there. Manchester United insiders say the relationship between Eric Ten Hag and Jaden Sancho is beyond repair. Drew Dickinson, I'm sure, will discuss this and other things in his section of Prem and Proper. Uh, Prem and Proper will be out on the network on Friday, just in time for the weekend matchups. Saudi Arabian clubs will lead the chase for Victor Osimhen ahead of Real Madrid and Chelsea should he leave Napoli in January. That's the four-letter paper. Manchester United planning to open talks over a new contract with midfielder Hannibal Mabry, who's being tracked by Sevilla. That's from Fabrizio Romano. They're also planning talks with Eric Ten Hag over a new contract. That's from our friends at 90 Minutes. Chelsea in the market for a new left back. Chelsea's in the market for everybody. I mean, hell. Come on. Chelsea wants somebody else. Chelsea wants this. Chelsea wants that. Yeah. Well, I want to win the big game. I want to win. I want to win Mega Millions. Doesn't mean I'm gonna. Chelsea's in the market for a new left back. Inter Milan defender Federico DeMarco and AC Milan's Teo Hernandez on the short list. Sheffield United. Yeah, and this is one of the the largest unkept secrets known to mankind. Sheffield United have spoken to former manager Chris Wilder over the possibility of replacing Paul Heckingbottom. So far, Sheffield United's like, nope, we're not making a managerial change. Even when we get blown out, ain't nothing. Eat nil. I figured that Hacking Bottom was going to get kiffined right there. But does Sheffield United have the finances to fire Paul Hacking Bottom and then pay Chris Wilder to come back in and, hey, save our souls? Roma considering a January move for Spurs defender Eric Dyer. Our friends at the BBC are circling back to our discussion, the long discussion we had about Everton yesterday. 777, by the way, is confident of passing the, P, uh, the PL owners and directors test and has begun dialogue with fan groups. Tom, have you and Ropes had a discussion with 777? Trying to ease supporter concerns about the proposed takeover. Newcastle wants to sign a central defender in the January window. They ended their shirt deal with Castor early over concerns about the quality of the merchandise. Remember we talked about West Ham and the lack of wicking ability? Same deal with Newcastle and Castor. So they're shifting over. And Saudi Arabia are considering recruiting referees from the Premier League and across Europe on a full-time basis. That's the early gossip rumor and innuendo there. I'm going to do this a little early because we forgot to get it in yesterday. And this is totally on me for not uh, discussing things about our sponsors. So I'll go ahead and discuss things about our sponsors before we're joined by uh, Kaylor Hodges and our friends at the USL show. Rotor Freak Clean Fresh Air, one place you need to go. It's a service. 
QR code over my left shoulder for those of you watching on Twitch, Facebook, and on the Twitter. Eliminize deodorizes enclosed spaces like houses, apartments, and condos. Created a customized solution that eliminizes all organic odors, including those like pet cigarettes and food. Realtors and property managers use Eliminize service to eliminize bad odors to help them accelerate their homes that much faster. It's a turnkey process. Makes it easy to work with said realtors and property managers. Thank you, Ricky Ricardo, for telling me what a turnkey process is. I'll take your word for it. Eliminize service kind of the environment. We like that. We know about that. Offering a green way to get rid of odors without any kind of toxic residue whatsoever. Different than Febreze or any other masking agent that you may have either under the sink or above you in the cupboard. Because when you reach under the sink, or above you in the cupboard to get said masking agent and you spray the masking agent in the air. That's why they call it a masking agent. You're just masking the odor. You're not attacking the problem like our friends at Eliminize Service do with their proven scientific formula. Pricing very, very easy one of two ways, either by the cubic foot of parts per million and come up with a price that's affordable for you, offering results in 24 hours or less. Any other questions you may have frequently asked or otherwise, this is why when I grab my pen, go to the website. Over my left shoulder, you see it right there, eliminize.com. But do us a favor, add slash Atlanta after the dot com so they know what part of the world that you are addressing them from so they can help you with your issue. Full homework assignment. E-L-I-M-I-N-I-Z-E dot com slash Atlanta, eliminize.com slash Atlanta. Eliminize service, proud sponsors of everything SDH as we go screaming from hour number one into hour number two for Thursday thoughts. And traditionally... Since it is the last Thursday of the month, unless I am swamped or unless I forget, it is time to bring in Kaylor Hodges, part of our friends from the USL show, and we get to talk all things USL. So, Kaylor, question mark, what is up? Hey, not too much, not too much. Uh, it's been a busy into the season, especially with the also famous USL roster freeze, not deadline day, because that is oh so very different with the equally catchy phrase. Yes. It's been a lot to keep up with, lots of big results last night and, you know, going to the week before and trying to wrap your head around it. It's uh, been a lot, but hey, that's what we're here to attempt to do, right? So, all right, so roster freeze. Who made some Who made some moves off the top of your head that might help for this next couple of weeks to push things over the line to get desired results? Did anybody do anything that was earth-shattering or eyebrow-raising at all? Uh, two that were definitely – one that was eyebrow-raising for the wrong reason and one that was definitely earth-shattering or two kind of earth-shattering really are – first, let's start with a good win. Let's go up to our friends up, up slightly north from and I guess – east of atlanta to charleston and let's well, uh, charleston is a little south southeast yeah. let's go savannah and then up so southeast I, and i drove there from atlanta i should know that whatever <laughs> um but they get mark segbers and from miami which the deal had kind of been done already but segbers gets his one last uh ride with miami gets a win for them and Segbers to to Miami's or to Charleston's interesting because they've had Dodson who's been filling in a decent you know right back role, but Segbers is a kind of a different caliber, and that's kind of rude to say of Dodson to be honest, because Dodson's been really good, but Segbers is a guy that slots into every single team in the USL, and he gets to reunite with his former coach Ben Pierman and. It feels like another match made in heaven for a team that doesn't need it. 
Um, one that was shocking and it kind of brought a massive question mark over the entire regime of San Antonio. When you look at uh, Marsman, who came in from Inter Miami to Sandy or San Antonio, you replace Jordan Farr, who is still top five goalkeeper in the league, seemingly gets benched for Marsman, who some people are debating on whether they are getting Marsman his five appearances needed to be on the playoff roster because you, in order for you to be on the playoff roster, you have to have five appearances. Okay. Um, I think goalkeepers are a little bit weird. I think you can technically have bench appearances and that counts for them because if you have a GK one, I don't know. The rules are confusing. Um, but Marsman, he's been starting and a lot of people think it's because so they can be on the playoff roster, but this is also getting to the very end where San Antonio is pushing for the top of the league and they get home field advanced. Wouldn't you want your GK one Jordan far hot into the playoffs? Which a lot of people are saying, does this mean that Jordan far is done? Which after his heroics of last year, you want someone with that kind of ice in their veins in the playoffs, don't you? And then the last one is Memphis and Memphis made the decision to bring in Richard Sanchez. And as polite as I can say this, Memphis <laughs> has a knack for bringing in the worst goalkeepers they possibly can. According to my statistics, mine and John Morrissey's disagree a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there is one person that has been the unanimous worst goalkeeper in the league, and that has been Richard Sanchez. I thought you were going to say Bill Hamid. Bill Hamid was there for a minute. He was he had a good stretch, but that also coincided with their defense being competent. And then you have Drew Romig, who has been better. And according according to John, the third worst goalkeeper in the league to me, I think he's still I, my numbers having him around like bottom eight, not bottom three still. And you're wondering, are you replacing Romig with Sanchez, who's been the worst goalkeeper in the league? And you're upsetting a guy who shows that he has a lot of potential. And if you were going after a goalkeeper, why wouldn't you go after the one that San Antonio just got in Marsman, right? If he was available. And it's a really confusing move that doesn't seem to be doing anybody any good. And you look at what Memphis is doing right now. Actually, let's go back a team at a time here. You mentioned San Antonio. San Antonio is chasing after number one in the West. Same number of matches played, same number left, obviously, as Sacramento. And they're the only two teams that are currently in in the Western Conference. And, yes, I did just use air quotes. But San Antonio unbeaten in their last three. San and, uh, Sacramento stumbled their last time out. One point difference with Sacramento leading San Antonio right now. And they've got some space between themselves, that group number one, and then the street fight in the West that is going to uh, last the rest of the season. For the record, what is the tiebreaker when it comes to points? How many how many different directions do we go here? Because Loyal, Phoenix Rising, and Orange County are all at 47 points. Loyal have 13 wins. Phoenix Rising have 12, but they've got a better goal difference on the other two. But Orange County has more wins in the other two. What's the damn tiebreaker? 
I think it's goal difference. We have looked this up so many times, and every year it changes from head to head to goal difference. But it should be goal difference, and then it goes head to head. We think <laughs> because all right. So here's so here's the West, and, and I know that traditionally we start with the East because that's where we are, and then we go to the West. But because the West is so is so chaotic right now, Loyal Phoenix and Orange County, they are your three, four, five switchbacks who are are like the 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 shooting gallery uh, game that you play at the county fair where literally you you hit the duck and the duck goes the opposite direction you hit the duck again and it goes back that's been their season it's like they'll win a lot then they'll lose a lot Colorado right now 46 points they are a point back in 6th then there's that third group of folks trying to get in where you've got five teams separated by four points roots Monterey Bay, Roots are ahead, same number of wins. They're ahead on goal difference at 41 points. Picked the worst time to lose four in a row before the draw last time out. Monterey Bay is at 41 points. That's your playoff bar. Then below that, 40 points for El Paso Locomotive. RGV have won two in a row to get to 38. New Mexico United have hit each column in the last three, and they're at 37. This is chaos in the West. Yeah, I think if you're looking for something to hold on to, and you mentioned Colorado Springs, I think we've all kind of decided on the USL show they're the most confusing team in the USL because they're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad, they're really bad, they're really good, and then it's like, okay, who are we this week? Uh Um, You also have – oh, you have Oakland Roots who they – you still believe in what they have when you look at players. You look at their goalkeeping. You say, I believe in this. And in the end, when you get to that part of the bookends of the season, you start to say, I think I, I think I understand. I think I understand. And then you have Monterey Bay, who they are interesting as well. Um, they they had a point where Alex Dixon could not stop scoring. Yep. And then they got cold, really cold. Um, and then we don't really know where they are, but they feel like they're getting into a decent part of the schedule where they can sure up the end. El Paso, I think uh-huh. a lot of El Paso fans have shown defeat despite being in, like despite being close to being in, because they don't believe in the defensive depth. And it's like, what's going on? We don't know. I, I think that if I were to pick the final like I guess three teams. Sure. Good luck with that. <laughs> I think it would be who's in now. Okay. And I think that the only team that could squeak their way in, I think is going to be actually RGV. Huh. They've been on a small, albeit two games, is still a winning streak, but they've been on a small winning streak. They look good while doing it. And I think that helps, but also, they haven't had the juice all year, and it's kind of hard to see them really fighting. But I think that if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be this one. Chaos in the Western Conference. Yeah. So uh, we go to the East, and I know that you guys had a, a rather interesting guest last time out from the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. What was it like to, to hear from that particular coach? Yeah, so on Tuesday we talked to Ben Pierman, the head coach of uh, Charleston Battery and also uh, 2022 Coach of the Year. Um. He's an open guy. I oh, think yeah. that was. I think that was one of the things that. Did I you think, have to hit your explicit warning on the show after you put it to tape? 
No, no, we we don't do one of those. We love to keep everybody as open as possible. And uh, yeah, he, um, you know, when we talked, I think a lot of people who listened for the first time were like, "Whoa, this guy's this guy's very honest." And it's not in a like he's going to drag everybody down. It's just you don't hear coaches talk about their philosophy very often, right? And his philosophy, he was open with it, was. I am setting up the club to run without me. If I were to disappear for two months and I come back, it's like nothing happened. That's how he wants to run things. And I think that explains a lot of the consistency of Charleston this year, where, you know, if he had to leave, if a star player had to leave, like Fidel Barajas gets called up for international duty. It's okay. Augie Williams gets called up for international duty again. You know, because he's kind of good at the soccer thing. I think people were like, "Yeah, that like that's okay," um, and it doesn't matter. And I think that's what's helped Charleston this year. And I think it put a lot into really big context um, of why they've been so consistent. That's um, he was a really interesting coach um, to talk to, and one of the more interesting conversations I think we've had when in terms to coaching uh because so many of them the usl is not big into coach speak i think that the usl is a little bit more open because they, they don't have to it's not like you're having to respond to espn right and you're not having to give coach speak but he was, he was more candid than most coaches and it was a really fun chat uh we we have someone in, in our twitch pitch who is doing the lord's work and we and we love them for it tiebreakers in usl head-to-head and then goal difference in head-to-head See that I feel like it was different last. Thank you, Harry. I think, I think it was different last year. I think it was, it changes all the time. (laughs) Dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Kaylor head to head, head to head first with Harry. Uh, Harry's like tiebreakers achieved by the following criteria in order of importance. I feel like I have to read it in this voice. Head to head points earned in regular season games. And then two goal difference in head to head matches. Damn, Harry. I mean, you make my head hurt with all this kind of stuff. But head-to-head points earned in regular season games, then goal differential in head-to-head matches. So thanks to our San Antonio, thanks to our San Antonio contingent who, who are clearing us up on this. Uh, Eastern Conference, now that we're talking about it. Five teams are in. We know, we know five teams are in. We just don't know the order order. Pittsburgh, Tampa, Charleston, separated by four points. Tampa had a big loss in the week to Memphis. Speaking of Memphis, you mentioned Memphis, 49 points, and they are ahead of Lou's City in your 4-5, and then you get group number three. Indy 11, who picked the wrong time to go three uh, to three winless. They're at 42-6. and six. Your, your hometown Birmingham Legion are doing the same thing, so they're not making up any ground on the boys in blue right now, winless in your last three 40 points. Detroit City, who I don't know which version of them I'm going to get. The, they, they are the Forrest Gump box of chocolates when it comes to Detroit City. You don't know which version you're getting with them right now. They're the last team in at 37. FC Tulsa had a three-game uh, unbeaten string snapped last time out. They're at 36. The Miami FC, courtesy of your buddy Mark Segbers, wins two in a row. They're now back up to 35. Loud and Hartford are out the door. And uh, Nick Sakevich, now part of the front office in Hartford from uh, last time. Uh, I had conversations with Nick was when he was the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, but now he's going to try to turn Hartford around. When you look at the three groups in the East, what do you see? 
I mean, the top is the top. I think I think it'd be stupid, frankly, to say that anybody but Pittsburgh is going to go through uh as the top seed. I I mean maybe maybe that's harsh, but also I I they just seem to be the class of the East. But Charleston is right there with them. But I feel like Charleston dropped points where they shouldn't have and they yeah. kind of lost their chance. Mm-hmm. Um you mentioned I mean, you mentioned uh, Tampa Bay. I think they lost to Memphis. But also, they get a big lot. They get a big win to Hartford last night. Um, is, any win, is any win a big win over Hartford? No. Shouldn't it? Hartford doesn't count. <laughs> I I'm going to say something that is completely rude and might be seen as just wrong. But but that's I what feel like that's it's, we're here for. I feel like it's harder to lose to Hartford than it is to lose to Las Vegas. And I know Las Vegas has so many more losses, but also Hartford's just like not competitive. I mean, but Las- Vegas, we have seen Vegas be competitive and come up and surprise folks in the West. Yeah. Yeah. But Hartford is the uh, bless them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Spoken they, like a true Southerner. Bless yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think you had to take Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Memphis, Charleston, they could flip flop around. I think Memphis is, Memphis and Lou City are just kind of could flip around, but also Memphis seems like they're in a good stretch. They are going to be playing against Birmingham in a Southern Harm Derby um, this Saturday at home, and you you should back Memphis if we're being honest. I mean, they they have goals that they can score for fun, and meanwhile, Lou City, like you're looking ahead for Lou City, and it maybe you don't believe as much in the boys in purple, which seems like a mental thing to say. Um, I think when you get to Indy, I think you should believe in Indy. Have they been a little bit cold lately? Yeah. But also, I think you believe in it. I think you should. As for the last two, when you're looking at your when you're looking at your Detroit cities and your Birmingham's, I I still trust Detroit City in a weird way. Um I, I really like the back line, and I know it did not come out for uh, Colorado Springs, but again, Colorado Springs is a team that once they remember, oh yeah, we have really good wingers, they're like they score, but sometimes they forget. Hey, we can run up the wings, and that's okay. That's allowed. Um, and for Birmingham, I I think that they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not. It's no guarantees. There are no guarantees at all. Wow. But I think I think they are. I think that your teams on the outside looking in are you're going to be your Tulsa's. Um, I think Tulsa could also sneak their win, and I know that's kind of a cop out. They could, yeah. but I don't trust it as much. Now a team like Miami, I think they left it a little bit late. But if Jake McGuire not obviously having a match like he did this last time, you can't do that every single time. Not even, I mean, he came out looking like Brian Gigi Buffon, but he, you know, he can't do that every time, but if he's half as good as that for the rest of the season, he may give Miami a fighting chance. Halftime with uh, Kaylor Hodges and our friends at the USL show. They come to join us. Uh, traditionally the last Thursday of every month where we get to hang out and kind of look at the month that was, unless, uh, I forget or we're really busy with stuff with Major League Soccer or we end up with a truncated schedule. You realize, of course, that since the schedule ends before the end of next month, you're going to come back sooner 
yeah. next month when it comes to things. That's all right. Just, I just wanted to give that. That's ha- that's your halftime notice. All right, halftime. What we always like to do is do red light, yellow light, green light. And we do that with you, and we do that with the guest that follows uh, Nico Moreno on the, the Major League Soccer side. And I explained it this way. When you're standing at that intersection with your car, you know, the stoplight can go one of three ways. Red light basically means that your car is stuck there at the intersection. The hood is up. Transmission goes down. And you want to hit the gas pedal and everything just blows up right there. You are in serious trouble. Yellow light, we take it to mean one of two ways. It means that you're you're kind of sitting there and uh, you, you, you're slowing down to the stoplight. You kind of hear the brakes, or at least you think you hear the brakes, and you might need to replace your brake pads. Or you're confident that you can make it through the intersection and work your way down the road and be safe about it. Green light, you know, forget it. Everything's cool. No worries. I'm confident my car is in the best shape humanly possible, and I don't have to worry about things. What direction do you want to start with this week to go? Do you want to go red light to green light? Do you want to go green light to red light? Um, I I think the way I've done is I want to end on happy notes, I guess. So I'm, I'm going to start, start, start with, with my – Start with your red light. Who's your red light this week? My red light this week, I – I mean, it's I guess it'd be a layup to say Hartford, so I'm going to try. I guess go a little bit more hot, hot takey, I suppose. <laughs> um, I'm this one hurts me to say, but I think I'm a little bit red light on El Paso. Okay, and El Paso is a team that I really like. I like the talent they have on the team. Their back line is really good. Uh, Dolan Mayer, uh, who's come in recently, has been. A uh, real like you know spark of life. Mark Navarro is ridiculous. McHugh's really good, but I just I just struggle to see where the goals are coming from right now. And I know they have Zakaris, uh, they have uh, uh they have Garcia that has scored, they have Gomez that scored, but it feels like the well might have run dry, and they're coming up on some other teams uh, like Charleston, who I it's so hard to see them getting results. I'm I'm begrudgingly saying I'm red light on El Paso. All right, yellow light once again can go from someone who is going from green to red, or someone who is improving from red to green. What is your yellow light this week? I think. You know, I think my yellow light, I'm thinking I'm going to stay over onto this side. I am going to go yellow light with the San Diego Loyal. Okay. I think that you're getting to the end of the season, and we all know what the end of the season means mm-hmm. for San Diego this year, yeah. and that that hurts to say. Um, but I also think that there's going to be a lot of juice in the building, I think there's going to be a lot of big fan turnout. And I think that that final push, the literal final push of the club, I think is going to push them maybe not to a, you know, a USL final, but at least to a very strong showing for the loyal. Okay. And uh, since you mentioned that I'll reserve that as a sidebar coming up and, and after we go through green light. So what, what's the, what's the last category and who's got it this time? I guess I'm just a Western Conference guy this week. Um, I'm I'm just going green light on Phoenix. They're just scoring goals for fun. Like I did this uh, on uh, on Tuesday on the USL show, 
and I'm going to pull it up really fast, but they're attacking like four players, their midfield and their strikers. It's ridiculous. You have Danny Trejo on the left, not that one. You have Harvey in the middle. You have Jose Hernandez in the middle. You have Armanakis on the right side, and then you have Arteaga up top. That's disgusting. (laughs) Between Armanakis, Arteaga, and Trejo, that is – that's every team's dream three going forward, and they just have them. It's They're so good, and I think they're getting hot at the right time. All right, so since you mentioned San Diego, let's talk San Diego for a minute. And because by the next time we talk, it will be their last playoff run. they will be their last this, their last that, all these kinds of things. When you look at San Diego and what – they they were able to do in, in their tenure there. What do you think the San Diego Loyals legacy will be when it comes to USL championship and to the sport in San Diego? This one's hard because yeah. I think for the fans, their legacy is that they did everything right. I think to the fans, they show that they have a front office that was vocal, that was present, that was San Diego. They became their community. And for fans, I think you say they did everything right. I also think that their legacy could in the end be a cautious tale for owners. Because if you do things too right, you prove to other entities that we can come in and poach your market. And it's well, not, but is it poach? Is it really poaching though? If, if, uh, if a league wants to come in, if somebody wants to come into a first division setup, sit there and drop half a billion dollars and go, is it poaching? I mean, I could, I could see there are other markets where we've had stuff where teams have coexisted and the loyal admitted that they looked up and down the San Diego area, tried to find something of a solution and couldn't find it. I mean, th- there have been markets where you have had, First and lower divisions coexist, though. Yes and no, because I think that's one of those things that you say would have a first division league come in without USL showing that it can work, right? And I think everybody could assume that San Diego, yes, it would. I think everybody could assume that, but you don't know. Um, I think I think the term poaching it just kind of I obviously it's a little harsh but also I come from the USL world right where we we I don't like saying this but we get a little bit little brother sometimes and we're like no take us seriously and like take us so seriously we believe in what we're doing and it it, it just felt like it felt like all this momentum had come to a grinding halt because yes we have seen teams coexist with MLS at the same time, but have they? I mean, the only way I can really think off the top of my head is you have Charlotte and Miami, and neither one of them are coexisting. They are struggling. They are fighting for survival. Well, I mean, if you if let's take the Miami example. And Miami is at Ricardo Silva, and it's a facility that I think that if if teams look at things in their own sphere and cater to their home, the, cater to their own audience morning, Capri, uh, Patricio, thanks for hanging out. Um, 
Uh, I think that you can if you if you look in your own sphere and try to build from there, go stable first and then work your way out. I know folks are going to sit there in in and look at shiny object and all those kinds of things. Charlotte's a shiny object, but I think that if I, I think that both can exist if say Charlotte focuses on their audience and Charlotte went down to League One before they came back up confident enough to be in USL Championship, and and so you you've seen you've seen all of these things drift you know back and forth. Where sorry, I had that reversed. They were in Championship, went down to League One, and I think they're coming back. So they're that confident in themselves. The Miami FC. Not to be confused with a Miami FC. They are the Miami FC. That's true. I think that in, in Boca Raton, I think that if you if you focus on yourself and make yourself solid and then build out, I think that you can coexist and I think you have futures. You've just got to find your place first and foremost and be confident in that place. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's – we it's a whole conversation that unfortunately exists in USL and in, you know, NISA and, you know, when they were around NASL that again, you're fighting for relevancy and you're fighting for this. And it felt like San Diego had done it and they did everything right by their fans. And, you know, it's, I think that's where it comes down to. I think for owners, I think Las Vegas is a good example of this too. And in the opposite direction, where their owner was pretty upfront of we are creating a team so we can be bought by MLS because everybody wants Las Vegas right now. And I think he realized that there are very few teams that jump up from USL to MLS anymore. Yeah. Right. Cause you have Austin, the bold were right there. They could have taken that ownership. Didn't happen. I mean, yeah, Las Vegas right there. They could have taken the lights. Why would they, um, and gone MLS. They could have, they could have gone out to San Diego and said, loyal, here you go. I mean, they had Landon Donovan. It was a perfect storyline, but investors are investors are investors. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have it, they don't have it. I think it's one of those things that's a cautious tale of, if you do everything right and you show MLS that you can or whatever league that you can be careful because you may not be going with them. Should the lights with, uh, with Iowa and Rhode Island coming in next year, should the lights drop to league one? They should have dropped to league one a long time ago. And it would help the Western conference side a lot with, uh, because there is no conference It's just West and East, but they're all together. It would help that a ton. If we're being honest, I think there are about five teams that, could, that should be dropping down to league one this year Okay, because they're not filling out stadiums. They could go to a smaller stadium that fits those requirements. They also are realizing that we can't pay all of these wage bills. We can't do all this. And League One is a viable option. I think in the end, it turns into we, it's a little bit of a confidence thing, self relegating. It's not even like we lost on the pitch. We lost with our wallet, and owners don't want to lose with their wallet. That's their whole identity is being rich. So I think there's a lot of confidence things there that doesn't work. But I mean, you look at even Chattanooga, who they're apparently talking about going up to the championship. I saw that. And that's a, frankly a horrible decision on their part they're not going to be able to poach chattanooga fc fans they're loyal they are not going to leave their club and just going up to second division doesn't do enough for most people to people that weren't already supporting rebels or chattanooga fc it's still minor league who cares and i think 
I think a lot of clubs should find League One to be a competitive option, a viable option where you can still build a community club. And I think it would help both league ecosystems as a as a investor's wallets as well. Five teams in League One are chasing after the final three playoff spots. They got a handful of matches to go there in their season as well. When when's the end of the regular season, Kayla? Uh, we got four more games, I believe. Four, so technically, I guess four more weeks if they if you consider that. But I think there's four more games across the board for okay. both leagues. All right. So as a note, after the last regular season Saturday, that following Thursday, we will have you on as we traditionally do. If it is in a month, it's in a month. If it's not in a month and it's earlier, we have you on earlier. You and Morrissey, if you can get Morrissey away from uh, all of his studies and chasing after his PhD ness. Uh, hit, hit me with the promo before you go. Hey, check out check out the interview with Ben Pierman. It's on all of your uh, podcast locations on YouTube, the whole nine yards. Um, it was a ton of fun, and hopefully a couple more interviews on the way. We've uh, we've been trying to get away from them a little bit because we want to talk about the league itself, but also it's so much fun to interview people, and Ben Pierman is about as fun as they get, so check it out. At the USL show on the 280 character app. And is yep. that the same across all the socials? Absolutely. What he said, Kaylor Hodges is always my friend. It's great to have you uh, discussing everything USL championship, USL league one, and we will continue to be philosophical and all these other things coming up in uh, short order. Thank you, my friend. We'll catch up next time. Thank you. That's that's Kaylor Hodges and he talks USL and stuff. And so we're going to you know have all of that going on when it comes to uh, USL championship, he and John Morrissey, they do fantastic work down there looking at second and third division, all those kinds of things. And we like to have them on to share their perspective when it comes to all of that. And we'll go uh, continue to go forward with them with the USL show. And uh, it is crazy. Uh, We also have on the network, the uh, USL championship and league one, review preview shows where we can look at the highlights from the previous match week and get you set up with all the juice boxes getting ready for the uh for the week in and of itself so uh, the sprint continues craziness there's and literally the fact that there are three groups in each conference you got the dudes up top dudes in the middle chasing after the four or five and then the chaos that's chasing after that last spot in each conference absolutely crazy and all of that, uh, it's really cool to catch up with our friends from uh, the USL show, Kaylor and John Morrissey, and, and those guys really do tremendous work when it comes to covering second and third divisions. So follow them, listen to them, interact with them. And so thanks to uh, Patricio in Hartford, uh, uh, Ryan Cole and Harry, uh, your San Antonio fans for coming in. We do this every month, if not sooner, considering schedules. Uh, Nico Moreno coming up in short order, and we'll discuss uh, everything going on in Major League Soccer, and we will go over everything that is on his mind when it comes to uh, the sport. We'll talk Open Cup. We'll talk all of these things, and we will get into everything going on in Major League Soccer. So uh, once again, remember when it comes to uh, all of the all of the leagues, and as a matter of fact, uh, it. Foreign and domestic, MLS Next Pro, USL Championship, USL League One, all the review preview shows, all the 1v1s. And if you missed it yesterday, uh, had a really interesting 1v1 with uh, one of the new franchises in the NPSL. 
They're in the heart of Wisconsin, Marshfield, Wisconsin. Wisconsin conquerors and uh, their founder, Dr. Alexander Edo. So if you've got uh, 20 minutes or so, you can catch up with what's going on in Wisconsin when it comes to the uh, the NP. And of course, since it is now uh, the last half hour of the show on, on a Thursday, that means one thing. That means that somebody's probably on his second cup of coffee and he's styling and profiling. Nico Moreno, what is up, my friend? What's up, guys? Uh, happy Thursday. Excited to be on. It is a, a wet and, uh, you know, a little bit of cold one here in the Pacific Northwest, reminding us that it is fall already. But yes, cup of coffee numero dos. Just waiting for the one and only John to let me know which way we're going today. Well, I think, aren't we starting with uh, with Star Wars logos and rebrands and, and shiny shiny things? Isn't that where we're starting this week? What was it like up there to sit there and see this thing finally revealed? And uh, in honor of the 50th anniversary, you've got, you've got a new brand presentation. I give you full credit for bringing the whale back. I thought that was a nice touch. But what was it like to see the Seattle Sounders looking a little different now? Uh, look, I, I thought they did it uh, very well. Uh, I think that if fans should be proud and happy about a organization, a club that takes their opinion very seriously, um, is this Seattle fan base. There is no doubt in my mind that um, when you look at this new crest, it it's modern, it's slick, it's clean. Uh, it's very uh, usable for other merchandise. It, it's what kind of was the main point of, of this very elegant and, and simple crest. Uh, before it seemed like it was a little bit too busy uh, with everything going on. Uh, honestly, the, the criticism from South America when you know you would show that that logo and people would find out about the Sounders was that it looked a little bit cartoonish, a little bit too young uh, i guess if you want to say it that way just it didn't have that the real soccer look now this this is a little bit more european uh it, it feels like it's just a little bit more it's just the symbol right it, it it's kind of like they're going for the new age of it doesn't need to be in your face seattle sounders you know what the logo is you know what the the shape of the shield is that should say seattle sounders enough now, there's some fair criticism that maybe having the name around the bottom or at least the FC uh, would make it a little bit more in your face about it being a soccer shield and not just so generic, not so corporate. And I think that's a fair criticism. But all in all, I think that the Sounders did an excellent job at launching this thing and providing different components to not just the crest but uh the pacific northwest orca and uh the the, the orchids and and all the other elements that talk about the pacific northwest and the soccer community um so i gotta applaud them for that so you know be, being the guy i know that you are uh, have you already scoped out what you're getting for the holidays and what you're getting your, your friends and your fans. Are, are you getting, are you sizing up the gear to sit there and go, okay, I'm shopping for this. I'm shopping for this. Do you have your Christmas list all filled out now with this new rebrand? hundred <laughs> percent, man. I, I got a couple of hoodies that I really like uh, some uh, hats that uh, I thought were pretty 
dope looking. So um, I definitely got all my wish list ready to go for my family members. Uh, so in my opinion, and by the size of my wish list, you can absolutely tell that I really like the new logo. I like the new rebrand. Um, despite of it, maybe could be a little bit uh, better with a couple of details, sure. But I loved it. I loved all the gear. Uh, I mean, some of the the, the new jackets are amazing. Uh, so yeah, my wish list is pretty pretty big. Uh, I'm gonna be uh, a a guy that's gonna be putting some money back into the club by purchasing a whole lot of either wear or memorabilia because you know i do like my mugs i do like things for my office so uh yes my my wife and my family members are gonna have a long list of things to buy for the seattle sounders especially when you use the word dope uh when you drop dope on the show i, I know that you're locked in uh, <laughs> uh, all right let's talk about the the non-mls games from last night oh yeah the early one I mean, we admittedly, and I talked about this in hour number one, we give Captain Khaki, Ben Olsen, so much ish because of his being Ben Olsen. I mean, literally, he looks like he stepped out of the library long enough to put his to put his laptop down, chasing after his PhD to come out, coach a soccer match, be Captain Khaki, turn around and go back in and chase after his degree. Houston is a fun team to watch, and they showed that last night. Yeah, little would you know that that teacher is as fiery as he is because, man, he is uh, a quick one to uh, get to that next level, right? Uh, but, yes, this team has been fun, was fun last night. Uh, they're part of our green light club right here at, at SDH, and rightfully so. I believe that um, – what Ben Olsen has done is it should be applauded and it can only be overshadowed by the likes of Carnell there in San Luis. And that's probably why he won't be coach of the year, but he, he's done a phenomenal job simplifying the game, making them completely vertical and um, very um, systematic. Uh, yesterday it was all about transition, right? Uh, Bossy collects a, a bad pass uh, from Inter Miami. It's a, a quick pass up forward for Barrett. Barrett cuts inside down to Arthur. Arthur keeps up his space. Coco Carrasquilla continues his run and takes some defenders with him, opens the door for Dorsey to come on the right side. And Dorsey, that's as defiant as any fullback in this league, uh, just completely hammers that ball in the top 90. And there is nothing that Calendar can do. So, uh, yes, this is what we see from Houston. Right? Quinones on the other side, constantly pushing Coco in the midfield. Um, you got Hector Herrera being finally that that leader, that guy that 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 just puts it all together. Uh, he is obviously someone that creates that compass and maybe gives him a little bit of a of a different pace and and holds the ball when he needs to and pushes it up when he has to. So this team has been absolutely surprising for me. I, I did not see this coming this season. Uh, one of the most surprising, obviously, right along San Luis. Uh, but yesterday, they put up a show. Uh, it could have been three. Obviously, uh, there was an offside on Quinones. And in Miami on the other side, it's hard to do it without certain pieces. 
they still came out. They try to do, they try to play their game. Uh, Tata, if anything else, is always going to have a, a game plan. I think they try to execute it. They had some chances on goal. Uh, I think that if if Joseph is a little bit more clinical, maybe this is a 2-2 game there uh, at the very end. But all in all, it was a good game. But it says more about Houston than it does about Miami. I think people were very harsh on Miami and talked about, well, that's what the team is without Alba and without Messi. No, I think that they faced a very good Houston side, and it just showed at the end of the day. I think, and we, and I went through the numbers with our friends at SofaScore and their their analysis of the the Houston play, and it looked early on that Houston saw something down their attacking left-hand side, and they went after DeAndre Yedlin. Yes. Quinones put DeAndre Yedlin in the laundromat. I mean, he was in the coin laundry, and he was going to be there for a while, and they just kept feeding quarters to Quinones, and, and DeAndre Yedlin was in serious trouble in that first 45. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, just Quinones' speed and verticality, but it was also sometimes Corey Barrett would push inside and they would flee. Bossy sometimes would fill up those uh, spaces. Uh, there were times where if it, the ball was on the other side, then Escobar was getting high on, on that end. And Jelen was just a very busy guy defending, and you could tell his frustration by the PK he gave up. He's definitely late. He's definitely a PK. Uh, and it was because of all the work he had to do, uh, constantly having to check his his own hip. I can't get forward with ease, with freedom, because I know that I got a lightning bolt in Quinones, and I don't really know who's going to come up behind me. So, yes, I think that they saw – uh, not, not just a weakness on Jedlin on the defensive side, but they said, who's the more likely fullback to give us issues if he gets to go forward? And that's Jedlin. So by obligating him to defend and anchoring him farther back, they pinned him and, and they did a good job at it. And when Kretsov ended up with the yellow, that meant that he couldn't be as aggressive as he traditionally is. And so Jedlin has to kind of be too two members of the back line at once. He's got to think for himself and do defensive driving and think for Kripsaw because he can't be as aggressive when it comes to what he wants to do in, in pushing forward and getting into tackles as well. So uh, DeAndre Yedlin got pinned in, and he had to kind of do two jobs in one, and it was a long day for him. Uh, Inter-Miami, first half, we went over the numbers 18-1 to 1 in shots for, for Houston. That, to me, when that number came out, I was like, you've got to be ishing me, and – I, it was just, I think, part and parcel to the dominance in the game plan that Captain Khaki put together against Inter-Miami. Absolutely. And they, and they did it by pushing up the lines. Uh, this 4-3-3 uh, uh, with this specific lineup does create some spaces, right? Because Busquets could only do so much. Uh, uh, Diego Gomez, uh, he was trying to make sure that he didn't get – they didn't have to drop and get so deep. So there were some gaps in between lines and uh, between Herrera and Arthur and uh, Bassi. They, they really did a good job at controlling the ball, hitting those pockets of space that uh, Inner Miami was providing. So it was dominant. It was quick. Uh, it, it was a, a Houston team that when it came to transition, it was three passes. Uh, we're just going to, hit you as quick as we can behind the lines and and 
they created a lot of opportunities. Not all were clear on goal opportunities, but between half chances, uh, half chances and, and shots on goal, man, it was a whole lot of Houston in that first half. And even when Tata tried to adjust, it was clear that if there was a, a team on the front foot, it was Houston all day long. Second game last night. I don't know how many folks outside of the West Coast and, and your time zone actually stayed up to watch this because, I mean, you had the two matches in Major League Soccer. And for MLS, this was one of their TV programmer juggling challenges that gives folks their master's degrees because you had the East Coast game at 730. You had the West Coast game at 9.30, which was a mountain time zone game that had Rabid Prairie Dogs and Vancouver going at each other. Then you had the two specialty games rubbing in between all of that stuff. You had Open Cup and you had the uh, the activity in Campeones Cup. And it looked like both of these teams, LAFC and Tigres, put out first choice lineups but no goals on the board. It goes to PKs. Tigres gets the win as an underdog at a plus 200 uh, on the juice boxes. Did How much of Campeones did you watch? I watched just about the whole game. Uh, thankfully, with uh, MLS Pass, I get to uh, rewind. And, you know, I need to watch the game from beginning to end. But like you said, you, you, you hit the, the, the nail on the head. It was first team lineups and not first team lineup soccer. I, I mean, honestly, it, it was uh, a lot more desire and uh, physicalness. Uh, it was very imprecise, uh, not a lot of entertainment and, and good tactical soccer, to be honest. There were uh, mistakes and issues all across the, the pitch for both sides. Uh, sure, you, you have some quality players that made it interesting. Uh, uh, Quinones on, on, on one side, I, I thought he was the guy that just he's like a magnet you got to see where he's at he's he's fast he's quick he's got mid-range shots and, and and he tried to do it but he wasn't constant and it was a very like i said on precise tigris side all around and on the on lafc it, it was a lot of the same and i'm starting to uh really see abuanga game by game just get more alone and, and just get so um isolated at times and, and you know he feels like he has to do it all and he does this that or the other i think christian Oliveira was probably the other bright spot on lafc uh, but he just doesn't have that final quality right that there is a point in the game where he has a, a, a beautiful uh cut through between two defenders on the right on the left side he is in the 18 uh, he he couldn't curved it into the, the, the that back second post uh, top 90, and he just kind of hits it completely off. Uh, so there is some talent there uh, for the future. There's potential, but this is not the LAFC of before that was just a juggernaut, and, and, and you could not stop him on the offensive side. And Bella is still very uh, intermediate, and, and there are like little sparkles and moments of vintage Carlos Vela, but it, it, there's just not enough up top. Uh, now, I thought it was interesting that when Palacios got sent off, I thought that they looked a little bit more open. They looked a little bit more free. They were able to get behind the line of Tigres a, a little bit more, which was very odd. Um, and I will say that Palacios' second yellow 
I still don't see it. I think it was non-existent. Uh, the second yellow was, if not soft, it was non-existent. Like it did not happen. Uh, and I, I thought the referee just didn't do a good job on this one. Uh, so the best thing out of this game, quite honestly, was the PKs, was the uh, Noel show and all his his uh, antics in uh, in goal, going side to side, and his facial expressions and all of this. Uh, and, and now I think LAFC's shooters, uh, once again, man, either you shoot it with precision and you place it or you <laughs> smack it with everything you got and you just hope that it goes right through the hand of the goalkeeper. But neither one of those happen here. Uh, and uh, Noel is some of, one of the best shot stoppers uh, in CONCACAF, and that's what really makes the difference in this game. Halftime with Nico Moreno. Thursdays with Nico here on the SDH Network Soccer down here where we get the Pacific perspective from our friend at El Rolo and W on the Twitters and at uh, Sports Pulso and at the Soccer Bar, one of the busiest men in show business, specifically in the Pacific Northwest. All right, time for red light, yellow light, green light. And as we did with our friend uh, Kaylor Hodges from the USL show explaining the rules, we can go either red, yellow, green. We can go green, yellow, red. You can do the same team back-to-back -back weeks, but you've got to come up with a different reason as to why. You can't just say, oh, more of the same. It has to be a different reason than the week before if you choose to pull that card out of the deck. Where do you want to start this week? Uh, let's go with um, let's go with the red. Let's go with the red uh, because it's a team that we haven't talked about in a long time, and it's a team that's been between yellow and red. Uh, and I'm talking about a birthday team from down south, and that's Austin. Uh, I just don't um, I don't see Jason Wolf continuing. Uh, I think that there will be a change there, uh, one way or another. Uh, I really do believe that. Uh, his time in Austin is done. Uh, this is a team that I get has some um, firepower. They have some interesting players. And I mean Josh Wolf. I'm sorry, not Jason. Josh Wolf. Um, and, and I just don't know if the guys are taking in what he's providing anymore. I think that this is a very soft team all around. Uh, defensively, they, they, they've had issues in the past, but we used to make excuses, right? There's injuries because uh, Kant is not there. They're having to play with Alex Ring in the back line. Uh, it's just uh, just wait for certain players to get there. Now they have it all, and they're still a very unbalanced team. Uh, I still think that the Diego Fagundes thing was uh, poorly managed. And I think that that's a player that was a game changer for this squad. Now they don't have him. Uh, Johan Valencia, I'm starting to really write in. He has been a bust a little bit uh, to the expectation that many of us had in South America for one of the top Colombian prospects in that position. De Rusi has to do it all at times. He has to play sometimes a little higher. He dropped the line yesterday. It, it's just... Uh, I mean, not, uh, last weekend against L.A., uh, but it's a, a team with a lot of disarray, a lot of problems, uh, and I just don't see them. I know that they're, they're not looking in playoffs, and that, that's not why I'm putting them in the red category. I'm just talking about an organization that seemed to have it right. They, they seemed that Wolf was the guy, that they had the main pieces to be a contender, and they ended up being a pretender, and they showed it this season. And, and you know. We, we always 
we'll sit there and our, our numbers will change when it comes to coaches on the hot seat. I completely understand why you have Verde in your in the in in the Rojo position because it, you you would have anticipated a lot more. You would have anticipated a progression when it comes to to Austin and Brad Stuver can only do so much in, in saving the the folks at the back line you have uh you you bring in some high priced folks different reasons that does not work out so the money's been invested by Anthony Precourt and now, and we see this in business all the time, Austin's got a new sporting director. They've got a new technical director. When you bring somebody in from the Manchester City side, they ain't playing around. And I think that we always notice that new dudes want to bring in their guy. And I think that on that reason alone, if Austin doesn't make their way into the playoffs, which at this rate I don't think they are, that new technical director, new sporting director is going to sit there and say, I want to bring in my guys so we can do things philosophically. I mean, I, I thought the writing was on the wall when they brought in the new DT. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And not just, I mean, it needs to be rearranged. I'm not going to say bulldozed and start from scratch, but it does need to be rearranged. There's a lot of money in the salary cap that they need to move around. There's guys like Rigoni, in my opinion, that need to go. Obviously, the Rusi is going to be the guy that you keep. Uh, what are you going to do with some of these older guys like Finley? I think Gallagher's a stud. Uh, you know, they, there are pieces there, uh, but I think that, yes, you're absolutely right. There, there is a clear sense that there's going to be some changes made, a new era for Verday. I absolutely love their fan base, their uh, stadium. Uh, I'm a big um, Matthew McConaughey guy, uh, so I like that too. Uh, just all in general senses, I think they've done it right, but the soccer just hasn't been there. And as much as we've had moments where we think, oh, I think they finally figured it out, there's always a setback. And this one is catastrophic this season. We all had them at a different placing in the standards in the West, and the fact that they have not been able to get out of that hole is enough to make anyone go. And the, the one thing I will, I will say about Q2 is too small. And sadly, there's only one wing that you can expand a second deck on. Right now, I think it's at 22. It's too small for me. I've been there. I've seen the venue. And they jammed it into an industrial park to where there's no real estate to build out except for in one end zone. And it's the end zone as you're watching the match. Uh, you've got the supporter section off to your right. That that we know if we're watching on television. Supporter section's off to the right. If you want to build a second deck there, you're taking out the parking for all of your hoity-toity highfalutin uh, season ticket holders and your, your officials. The press box side where you're watching has no way to go up to a second level because it's literally the end of the property. There is a walking trail, and then you have a creek, and you have you got office space literally i mean it's just like a little trip just like a little thing but literally uh -huh. walking trail a creek and then office buildings and, and and uh things like that behind the the press box side on the uh the side opposite the press box they really don't have a whole lot of space there either once again there's a little bit of space you might be able to build a second deck but it would be up it wouldn't be up and out it, it literally would have to go straight up as you're looking on the TV, it would be to the left 
because there is open space, there's a meadow and there's like a gathering, there's, you know, like a gathering field, you know, if you want, folks just want to come and hang out and all that kind of stuff, almost like a park setting. That to your left, as you're watching on television, is the only direction that they could easily build a second deck. And that would look really weird just to build that one shoehorn section there. So Q2 is too small for me. Huh. I would love to see expansion plans because I've always maintained and we talked about it here on the show. If you want to come into the league, you got to have 30. You've got to have a stadium that's got 30,000. I think that the NYC stadium that they're planning has 27. I think that's too small. I think you sell yourself short in situations when Absolutely. You, you create a stadium that is too small. And I think Austin created one that's too small. Huh. Very interesting. What's the capacity on that? 22. 22. Oh, yeah, that is kind of small. Because I, I, I thought Bank of California, well, obviously now uh, BMO field um, uh, for the um, LAFC, it, it felt kind of small at times. I mean, compared to obviously century, I mean, uh, Lumen field, but at the end of the day, um, I think 30 plus thousand is, is still pretty decent size for 22. It is kind of small. Yeah. Capacity seating capacity is 20,738 with standing room. You can get to 22 and you create fire hazards and folks are on that mid level and they're staring at mm -hmm. things. So, 20738 is seating capacity at Q2. It needs to be bigger. Who's your yellow light this week? Yellow light, and bear with me here. Um, maybe people might think I'm crazy and I'm being unfair, but I think that this team is getting a little too much hype, and I really don't think they're going to do much in the playoffs. And that 2 2 draw against Chicago for the New England refs uh, show me that this team is more of a yellow than a green. And uh, I believe that uh, the absence of bye and everything that's happened with the coaching staff, I know Chankala has been really, really good. Sign him I mean, now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Chankala, he, he earned his spot. I tell you that right now. He earned that money. Uh, and I think he's been very, very good. But even with all that said, I feel like there are a team that could crumble in any single moment. Uh, I don't feel like they have that low floor as they did before. Uh, the, the little bit of leadership issues there. Uh, the, the midfield is way too spread out. I don't feel like there is a big disruptor. Um, I know Polster has been – they're riding him – until the wheels fall out. But even then, I feel like he's very limited on what he can do in the East. Ooh, th that's a bad place to be, a bad neighborhood to have very poor midfield on. And, and that's what they have. So uh, Chicago, I, I think like they're, they're one of the punching bags in MLS. You should be able to do more against a team like Chicago. And yet you allow this team to draw. You allow this team to uh, get you into bad positions. You allow this team uh, in certain moments of the game to take the ball away from you. Uh, I thought that there were moments where Chicago was the more dangerous team across the, the, those 90 minutes. And that's not something that should happen to a team like the New England Revolution. So that's why I want to put them on the yellow because people are way too hyped on this team. And I think that there's a reality check that's coming for this New England Revolution team. And I'm not going to say it's just the Bruce Arena effect. I think that there has been injuries, there have been issues, there have been changes, uh, and they're going to feel that here coming up in the playoffs and the last couple of games of the season. No doubt about it. They've got to figure out. we we got to focus on things other than the baloney, according to Kurt Analfo. 
I think if we focus on the bologna, we actually get to figure out what what's actually wrong with the sandwich. Who's your green light this week? I've been wanting to do this all season long, and I don't know if you guys are going to like it or not, but give me Atlanta United. I want to buy all the stocks on Atlanta United. People who've been selling, who still don't believe, that are still trying to sell, bring them over, man. I'll buy. I'll buy all the Atlanta United stock that you can. I get that uh, Gonzalo still wants more balance. Fans still want more balance, a, a, a more defensive and calm and, and, and a team that maybe manages things a little bit better. But this attack, this team, uh, Mayuamba has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Saba and Silva have been incredible. As long as Gigi stays healthy, man, for me, he's the best nine, pure nine, pure nine up there in the box. That's the best nine in the league for me. Um, so I think that this team has shown that with the right pieces, with the Gonzalo Pineda, that, that now can use the full gambit of players that he can, uh, has been able to manage games better, uh, plan uh, different ways to attack, different ways to, to, to come at teams. Um, that 4-1 game that, that they just went through, uh, yes, I, I understand that it's not – something that maybe you were not expecting out of Montreal, but Montreal's not as a bad team as people think, right? They have some pieces. They are well coached. Uh, so I think that Atlanta United going into the playoffs with the type of inertia, the type of momentum that they're building, they're going to be hard to beat, man. Almada is going to be Almada. Gigi's going to be Gigi. I think in the back line, if, if Robinson can have good games and uh, they can uh, keep, uh, uh, a lot of players behind behind the ball, and Luisa Brown doesn't make uh, mistakes. And uh, w with Lennon and with Wiley, if, if you're able to just be very um, selective of when they push and the way they move, this is a team that can have some balance that people want. But on offense, I feel like they have goals for days. They're not Columbus in terms of goals; like they're not the most dangerous team in the attacking side. But I think they're up there. I think they're up there in the East. I, I would take them on the attacking end uh, over teams like um, um, New England Revolution. Uh, I would put them right next to right next to um, a team like Cincinnati that I think depends a lot of uh, what Lucho can do. Uh, but this Atlanta team, for me, deserves to be in the green, and I'm buying all the stocks that you guys want to sell me. Wow. Let me talk to you. Let there me you talk go. to you. There you go. So, Nico, <laughs> Nico busting all of that out. Man. All right. We're going to have to remember that one. Uh, all right. Juice boxes this week. And it, it is, I was looking at the grid and I'm going, you know, man, this, 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 this weekend is kind of eh, when, when you were staring at it. But uh, there's one matchup that kind of sticks with you. And uh, as we look at things in, the uh, the juice box is out of the blocks at 7.30. It's Crew and Union. Crew is a minus 119, draws a plus 295, Union are a plus 284. Out of the blocks in the 7.30s, you get that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, that, that's definitely one of the few games that you can uh, uh, maybe uh, want to sit down and watch the whole thing. Um, 
I probably would go with with Columbus. Uh, I think Philadelphia is a team that has been so inconsistent all season long. And as much as I like Bueno in the midfield, um, and I like Gazdag at times, and I like Ure yeah. at times, and I like Carranza uh, at times, uh, there are times where they don't show up. And, and I can't trust a team like that against a team like Columbus. Uh, uh, what's the what's the breakdown on Columbus? And uh, is there an over under? Minus one nineteen is Columbus. Mm. There's always a total where we can sit here and 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 figure out the dance on it. And when it loads, I'll be able to tell it to you because I, for some reason the computer is just not not waking up this morning. Over under. All right. So give me give me a number. And we'll we'll lay out the totals. What number? Three. Do you have? All right. So, uh, so do you want two and a half or three and a half? Let me get two and a half. Two and a half is a minus one seventy nine. Oh. Three and a half is a plus one thirty eight. So basically, you were right on. Three is where it changes from a negative to a positive. So three and a half is a plus one thirty eight. Four and a half is a plus three thirty. That uh, might be a little too rich for me, but it will be a good game. I wouldn't put any juice boxes on now and to be quite frank, because I do think Columbus will take this game, but I don't think it'll go beyond the three. So the three and a half is going to kill your pocket. Uh, therefore, I would stay absolutely away from it. Uh, but how about that uh, inner Miami, New York City game? Because that, that game is going to make or break either team, I think, right? Uh, New York City is right there, right there. They're at the door. They're, they're over the line right now, but I think this could really knock them down and the inner Miami with everything that just happened in open cup, they're going to want to have this, that that's going to be their saving grace is trying to make the miracle happen. Uh, trying to get Messi the MVP. Uh, <laughs> if he can pull that miracle off. Uh, so that's a big game. Uh, what, what's the numbers on that one? Inner Miami is a slight minus at a minus one Oh three, obviously not knowing who's going to be able to play and turn around. You sat out Jordi Alba, you sat out Messi. Busquets did play. New York City is a plus 252 on the road. Your draw is a plus 276. Ooh, uh, wow. Uh-uh. You know what? Um, and, and what's Miami minus what? 103. Damn. Uh, no, that's that, that's a good one. Maybe that draw would be interesting in that one. Uh, how about uh, what, what's the overall goals? What was the three? Uh, th three and a half. All right, so let me check the three and a half here with uh, our friends. Three and a half is a plus 210. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe I'll just do the over on this one, just the three and a half. Um, I would like to say it's going to be a draw, but honestly, I think Inner Miami is going to push this game differently. I think uh, in, uh, I think New York City has lost their identity. Uh, they, they haven't been able to really dictate games lately. That midfield looks a sham, and, and they've kind of gone back to just we're going to maybe play with a, a lot of numbers behind the ball. We're going to just try to make it difficult and maybe pull off a goal here and there. Uh, they're just not that attacking team anymore. They might give Inter-Miami the ball and allow them to get into this game, settle into this game, allow Farias to get behind them at times uh, or, or, or make them break them down. But I think Miami can do that. So I'm going to go with Miami uh, on this one, but I would only put it on the over. All right. Other 730s are kind of dogs. Charlotte at the Revs, Fire at Red Bulls, Montreal at Orlando City, Cincinnati's at Toronto. 830, you've got Copa Tejas. Houston Dynamo's a minus. 
they want a title. I don't know if they're going to have the, the folks to care. They still may be hungover when they, <laughs> when they host FC Dallas, Minnesota United's hosting the Quakes. Your Sounders are on the road at Nashville. Nashville's an even money plus 100. Draws a plus uh, 252, and the Sounders to win it are a plus 267. Wow. Uh, very interesting. So let's do just two more because I know we're running out of time. Uh, let's go with Seattle. Uh, I think the Seattle Sounders are definitely a team that in this one, uh, I'm not quite sure if they could pull off the win. I, I would like to say that they can, but Nashville's a tough team to play at home. Nashville is very well-structured. If there's something that Seattle hasn't been able to do lately, score a lot of goals, uh, stay on, clicked on for 90 minutes. Not sure if Raul Diaz is going to be ready for this game. And I'm not sure if Jordan Morris is the right guy that you want against this particular structure of, of play. Uh, Leo Chu is going to have his hands full as well. Uh, th there's a lot of veteran, a lot of grit uh, of this Nashville team. And I think Seattle might have to rely on some younger players. And that's why I'll go with the draw on that one. And I'll definitely put some juice boxes on it for sure. All right, the fourth official held up the sign, so he knew we were going over. It's all good. Uh, the I-74 Derby, all caps in Sporting Kansas City. The uh, Rabid Prairie Dogs, Colorado, coming off of the 2-2 draw with Vancouver hosting Austin. LAG hosting Portland. Vancouver goes back home against D.C. Sunday, LAFC hosting RSL. What else do you want to talk about? All right, uh, so obviously LAC, uh, RSL is a big one just because of – the standings and there could be like a flip, right? RSL could go over the top of LAFC if they if they beat win this game and 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 it's one to watch. But I think the money might be on that Portland LA Galaxy one. Uh, can you give me the numbers on that one? I know that it's a it's a game that Portland needs. It's a game that uh, is obviously going to be on the road, but uh, I think there's going to be some money on that one. LAG is a minus one hundred three, same as Inter Miami. Draws a plus two eighty seven. Zombie Timbers are a plus 242. What do you think? Give me the Zombies and I, and give me three and a half on this one as well uh, for the for the over uh, on this one. There's going to be a lot of goals in this one, in, in my opinion. I mean, not just basing it off of the last 3-3 three, three between Austin and LAG, but Portland can put up some goals. They also have some problems in the back. I think uh, – Baby Sharp has been really, really good all around with the LA Galaxy. They, they feel a little bit different, and, and having that poacher in, in the 18 has been good for LA Galaxy. Uh, so I think this might be a back-and-forth game, but I'll give it to the heart, the grit of Portland. So give me Portland plus the uh, three-and-a-half. At a plus 143. So that is on the plus side for you. If you're really adventurous, your four-and-a-half is a plus three. 30. What's going on at Soccer Bar and Pulso Sports, my friend? All righty, Soccer Bar. We will be on uh, 9 o'clock, actually. We just moved it up uh, in time. Uh, so 9 o'clock is going to be about 45 minutes. I'll have to get prepared. And we're going to talk Campeones. We're going to talk MLS. We're going to talk about this Sounders logo as well, all in Spanish. Uh, check out Pulso Sports, man. We have a lot of imagery of uh, the celebration that uh, happened at the – uh, Museum of uh, of Music and Pop here in, in Seattle. Uh, very cool atmosphere. Uh, Adrian Hanauer talked about The Shield, uh, Stephen Fry, uh, Brian Smetzer. Uh, we also caught up with uh, Adrian Hanauer uh, on the uh, blue carpet that they had. Uh, it was really, really cool. So go ahead and check that out. And big one here on Monday show 
soccer bar and in Pulso Sports, you'll get the whole interview. We're sitting down with Cucho Hernandez. Uh, for me, one of the most talented forwards in this league. Uh, obviously, Hispanic Heritage Month, having a, a Colombian international that, to me, should be getting called up for the national team. Very talented, MVP candidate. Uh, we're going to have that on Monday, uh, both at Soccer Bar and Pulso Sports. Looking forward to it. A note for you, uh, we've got some other news to get into before we go. But before you go, just to let you know, Abdelai Sissoko from Defiance was named to the MLS Next Pro Best 11 this year. So uh, representation from Tacoma Defiance, Abdelai Sissoko on the back line for MLS Next Pro Best 11. So, my friend, thanks as always, and we will catch up with you again El at El Rollo NW, at Sports Pulso, at the Soccer Bar, busiest man in the Pacific Northwest, hell, busiest man on the West Coast. Nico, my friend, we'll catch up with you again next week. Uh, catch your breath because we know you're back at it in 45 minutes. Thank you, John. Have a good one. All right. So that's uh, Nico Moreno. And uh, just to continue what we were discussing with uh, Nico there. Well, hit the, you know, you got to hit the right. All right. Because there's no fader. From the Atlanta United 2 perspective, MLS Next Pro announced Nicholas Firmino, named to the 2023 Best 11. First player in two's history to make a best 11. 16 goals, six assists, starting in 25 of his 27 MLS Next Pro appearances in 2023. 22 goal actions, finished tied for second in MLS Next Pro, finished fourth in the league in goals scored. Led Atlanta in shots, shots on goal, accurate passes, second in successful dribbles. The rest of the MLS Next Pro best 11. Uh, Damian Loss from uh, Los Verdos, no surprise that he is there. And so, of course, maybe if I had – I got to hit loop when I do these things. So let me hit it again. Since we're not done, Damian Loss from uh, Los Verdos, Austin FC 2 is in net. We mentioned Nico before he left, Sissoko from Tacoma Defiance, Joe Hafferty from uh, Austin FC 2, also one of the defenders, and Joel Pedro from Crown Legacy, who we got to see a lot of during the twos action this year. That's your back line. Midfield, it's stacked. Firmino, Yosuke Hanya uh, and Oliver Laraz from Rapids 2. Ibrahim Kasula, who you got to see this season in the Eastern Conference for Red Bulls 2. Your forwards up top, Remy Cabral from uh, Rapids 2, no surprise. Jack Lynn from OCB and MD Myers from NYC FC 2. So, fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic news involving... Nicholas Firmino, best 11 in MLS Next Pro. Other news before we go, and it'll be, uh, we'll catch up with stuff overseas here. Remember, we were talking about uh, Barcelona and the bribery allegations. Could they be kicked out of Champions League? That's a question to think about going forward. So we will, uh, you know, keep an eye on the situation. The, uh, the, the two decade honorarium, as Hutch called it this morning. Uh, also on the board, Fenway Sports Group has sold a minority stake in Liverpool to Dynasty Equity. They're a sports investment firm. FSG has been seeking investment for some time, although the sport investment conglomerate denied suggestions it had put Liverpool up for sale almost a year ago. Understood the latest move is designed to raise cash to pay off bank debt, more than the club feel comfortable carrying incurred during the pandemic and capital expenses. Owner's long-term commitment, quote, remains strong as ever, end quote. Dynasty's involvement has been described by sources as passive 
and will not affect the operation of the club in any way, nor will it provide funds for a transfer war chest. So basically, they're just hanging out. Uh, Mateus Francia has trained with Crystal Palace for the first time following a summer move from Flamengo. The Brazilian teenager joined on a five-year deal in August, unavailable so far due to a stress injury. Dean, Lenderson, uh, Dean Henderson joined a growing list on Wednesday of injured, forced off in the first half of the Carabao Cup defeat to United. Also uh, mentioned the idea of the referees from the Premier League being tempted to come over and be a part of things in the Saudi Pro League. So the women's game in England continues to grow. So to transfer fees, one women's Super League manager describing the summer's window as wild following big spending. FIFA reported $3 million U.S. million spent during the 2023 mid-year transfer, double the amount the women's club outlay across the globe the year before. Congratulations. Nicely done. Kira Walsh's 400,000-pound move from City to Barca remains the record transfer in women's football. Arsenal threatened that in January when they wanted to try to get Alessia Russo from Manchester United. Uh, for the biggest signings occurred this summer, Arsenal reportedly spending more than 300,000 pounds to sign Kira Cooney Cross from Hammerby and Manchester City bringing in Jill Roard from Wolfsburg for a similar amount. So cool stuff out of the women's game. Jesse Lingard training with Steven Gerrard's side Al Etifak with a view to signing a contract to play for the team. He's a free agent after his Nottingham Forest contract expired this summer. Remember, he trained with West Ham earlier in the preseason. And uh, looking through the papers to see if there is anything different before we go. And we'll let you know what to watch for before uh, the end of the show. Once again, avoiding the three and the four letter papers as we traditionally do. We mentioned uh, Real Madrid looking at Roberto De Zerbi taking over for Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Gabriela Cavallin, who says she was assaulted by Manchester United star Anthony due to fly to the UK next week to speak to police. Uh, Victor Osimhen refused to celebrate his goal for the club on Wednesday, according to the Daily Star. And then uh, Manchester United confident they have not broken any FIFA rules by forcing Jaden Sancho to train alone following the bust-up with Eric Ten Hag. Uh, we mentioned not getting any kind of apology. Spurs optimistic James Madison's knee injury is not serious. Midfielder will be fit to face Liverpool on Saturday. We mentioned Jorge Vilda. Uh, UEFA's decision to reinstate Russian junior teams is in disarray after strong opposition to the move from a number of countries. And the Women's Euro Under-17 Championship host Sweden saying they will block Russia's participation. And keep an eye on that. Uh, Guardian says that Liverpool uh, M Member of Parliament Ian Byrne has urged the Football Association to call for Alexander Seferin to, quote, consider his position, end quote, as UEFA president due to mounting concerns about alleged cronyism and safety deficiencies following the 2022 Champions League. Finally, we talked about that on yesterday. Athletic says that PSG uh, and four of their players, Dembele, Randall Kolomowani, Hakimi, and Kurzawa, have been summoned by the LFP the body who oversee French professional football over allegations of offensive chanting during their victory against Marseille on Sunday. number of senior Uruguayan men's football players, including the likes of Facunda Palistri and Darwin Nunez, have issued a statement in support of the strike taking place by the Uruguayan Mutual of Professional Soccer Players. AC Milan, and next time next on, I want to talk to him about this. AC Milan have announced plans to build a new 70,000 capacity stadium in the southeastern area of the city. FIFA is under pressure to remove Cameroonian FA President Samuel Eto'o from his role 
after a group of the country's football officials call on the organization to take action against the former striker and the implementation of FIFA's new agent regs in England's being delayed by the FA. We mentioned the Daily Telegraph, Newcastle disposing of Castor because of complaints from supporters over the poor quality of the merchandise. A daily record, Michael Beal insists SPFL schedulers should be doing more to help Premier League clubs after suffering two more injuries as Rangers set up a semifinal against Hearts. Barry Robson says he's relishing Aberdeen's battle on three fronts after watching his team set up the semifinal with Hibbs. Aberdeen could be without James McGarry for up to six weeks. Scott Brown has emerged as one of the favorites for Cheltenham Town's manager's job, having recently been in charge of another League One club in Fleetwood Town. And uh, one other note before we go, I know that we talk about uh, teams and financial situations and things like that. And I know that we talk about the ones that are in trouble as kind of cautionary tales. From our friends at the BBC, and you know, once again, full disclosure that I am a member of the Iron Trust at Scunthorpe United. David Hilton has withdrawn funding for the team. They're going to play away games from the stadium that they currently are in because of a land dispute. Hilton has already put the club up for sale. Hilton feels his position is untenable and is actively seeking a way out. After two relegations, they now play in the National League North. They were in the National League, and then they got relegated last year, so now they're in National League North, sixth division. They're going to leave Glanford Park after hosting a match on October 7. They're going to play home games 16 miles away at a place at a place called Gainsborough Trinity. But the folks at Gainsborough were like, well, you didn't tell us. Gainsborough has said Scunthorpe's statement was issued without the knowledge or consent of the club. Basically, Scunthorpe said, yeah, we're going to play at Gainsborough Trinity. Gainsborough is like, well, you didn't tell us about it, so we don't know. Whilst the club, and this is quoting them, whilst the club has always been clear that any request from Scunthorpe United to play fixtures at the KAL Group Stadium would be considered, this would always have to be done by due process, which would involve both clubs and the ground owner. Glanford Park remains the property of former owner Peter Swan through landowners Cool Silk, while a trial is currently scheduled for January, which will look at the validity of a subtenancy to use the venue. Hilton, who only took over from Swan in January, has developed a difficult relationship with supporters since taking on ownership. This is from the BBC. He sought to move training to Ilkeston as a cost-cutting measure, only to backtrack after supporter complaints. It was also confirmed earlier this month that a winding-up petition was to be issued by His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. When you see the HMRC attached to anything, especially involving clubs, I believe tomorrow I will be wearing my Scunthorpe gear on the show. Tomorrow, normal 9.05 air. Our friends at Beyond Goals Mentoring will drop by at 9.05 unless they are mentoring and the real world intervenes. 10 o'clock, we will have Weekend Whip around patent pending trademark coming sooner, hopefully, rather than later. And we may get a visit from another friend of ours with a golden ticket status where we can commiserate about clubs and poor financial decisions. So that might happen as well. Uh, Prime and Proper will be out tomorrow. Drew Dickinson has rele- has uh, sent over his rant of the week, and it will be at the end of Prem and Proper as a part of the review preview part of everything going on in the Premier League. 
And once again, if you missed it, you've got the interview about well, Wisconsin NPSL that's up. That was a fun conversation yesterday. You also have uh, MLS Next Pro. We look at the playoffs, get you ready for the playoffs. Scared money don't make money, according to Benny Failhaber. And also the review preview. It's great to have Kaylor Hodges on the show to break down everything in USL Championship, USL League One, five teams, three spots. Only three matches to go in league for most. And we'll see what happens there. But we'll be back at it again, 9.05 tomorrow morning. We are all over the place. I know that that comes as a shock. So once again, stay safe, stay dry, be well. We'll be back at it again, 9.05 tomorrow morning. For everybody here at SDH, mucha plata, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us, played safe. And since it is the end of the show, that means I get to do this. We'll see you again tomorrow morning, 9.05.